Yes, and amen, and good morning to you guys. We are so glad that you are here. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah, listen. The preacher was on the front row, and the word, God, it's electric, came through my mind today. When those kids were bringing those boxes down, wow. And the songs, the songs are so powerful. God, it just feels electric. And I am so grateful to be with you today to have our friend with us today, we are, of all people, most blessed. Well, here we are, and we are in the third, fourth week, and last week, of taking care of business, and we've been learning the importance of his biz being our biz. We've been learning the importance that we as individuals, and also as a church, that we be about the Father's Business And our last title this week is Customer Care, because if you're going to do business, you need to know that the customer is very, very um, important. Uh, one of our local banks about, I think it was like 07, actually when the internet tried to find it, 07, 08, somewhere in there, they did a rebranding of their name. They wanted to, to, to better project who they wanted to be and who they were as a company. And so um, I found out that it was like the 07, 08, and it was Farmer State Bank. And what they came up with, and I'm sure with the help of a publicity company, you know, no one serves you better. Now, they could have, I, if I was writing a, a phrase, I would have came up with something like this. You know, we'll care for your coins. <laughs> Doesn't that grab you? Yeah. Or, or better banking means better profits. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, didn't, they understood the importance of that slogan was that the most important thing was they serve the people that came to their bank. No one serves you better. Well, we kind of went through that here at Dorsfield. Did you know that? Back when I came in 2000, we didn't have like a little tagline slogan thing. And so I decided I would try to write one. And um, so I first came up with Dorsfield distinctly different. Brent said, no. <laughs> you remember that? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I, I came up with Dorsville. It's worth the drive. And Brent said, no. And there was one more. I can't remember if it had different in it also. Okay. And yeah, that was an ugly. So we didn't have a slogan. And so one day we were in Nashville and we're driving on Broadway Parkway. I remember it very well. And the church is no longer there. They built a new campus and moved on. But it's Three Rivers Baptist Church. Um, and they had the slogan on their, on their marquee. And it said, you know, Three Rivers Baptist Church, one people, one faith, and one heart. And I said, oh, wow, why reinvent the wheel? We'll just steal theirs. And so I came back and we did some, we designed a little graphic thing, you know, and that was our slogan for about three or four years. And, and it was a nice slogan, but it just wasn't us. It just wasn't us. Back to Nashville again. And Judy's at a, comp, at a, a trustee meeting for Liveway, and it wasn't the exact verbiage, but she said something and said, Dwayne, how about this? And that became our slogan, and this was... Because every person matters. Now, you may or may not know that, and we probably need to do a better job putting that out there. It's on the sign every week, you know, big letters, DBC, because every person matters. But we need to do a better job promoting that because it really says who we are, that we want to be a church where every person truly matters. And that's so important because that's exactly what Jesus would say. He would say, hey, Dorsville Baptist Church, every person matters. Matters. Every 
personal matter. So, so today, we want to talk about how do you minister to you, how do you reach out to those people that might be just a little bit difficult. Now, we've said it different ways, but we talked about this thing about if we're going to stay in business, we need to be profitable. And so I, this week, I, I verbalized like this. Nance, go ahead and throw that up, please. There you go. Thank you so much. All right, there we go. So here's how we verbalized it this week. For your faith in church. So for you as individuals and, and as a church, as a corporate whole, okay, profitability is also sustainability. In other words, when the church turns a profit, then we stay in business. We're sustainable. Now, just for the clarification, the profitability has nothing to do, we want your money, okay? has nothing to do with a physical profit. It has to do with profitability in the kingdom of God, that we are a group of people and individuals that our purpose, our vision, our focus is the fact that we want to be about the Father's business. And when we choose, when we choose that, and we show a profit in that, you want to see profit? This is profit. This is profit. You know, you know, the fact that I don't, I said, Judy, how many boxes are up there? And we have no idea. Probably around 300, 350, somewhere in there. Just an amazing amount of boxes. And, and then we know that each one of these boxes, it's going to go somewhere in the world. And, and, <laughs> and each box is presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the numbers tell us. The numbers tell us that nine other people could well be, will hear the gospel and potentially be saved through each box. Through each box. This is profitability. This is what it means. This is what it means to be, to be profitable in the kingdom work. And it also means that it's sustainable. That we stay in business because we're making a difference for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, key to that, key to that is others or customer care. Is the secret. In other words, we've got to reach outside these walls and these doors to care. You know, in this case, we are not the customers. The customers are those who have yet to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And they may be in our neighborhood, they may be in our state, they may be in our nation, or they may be around the world. But they are the customers and we need to reach to. So we're going to tell a great story. And we're going to meet three different groups of customers. And we call them the cranky customers. Our story starts in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 21. And it kind of goes like this. Um, Paul and Silas show up in Philippi. Um, they meet a girl named Lydia, a woman named Lydia, who is a seller of purple. Um, and then she, she receives Jesus Christ. And that became the start of the church of Philippi. And we know that's where the book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. So a great church started there. Well, lo and behold, Paul and Silas sticks around and they're on their way to a prayer meeting and this girl continually follows them around. She's a slave girl and she's demon possessed and she has the ability to tell the future. So she makes a great deal of profit for her owners. And so, so she would fall around and, and say something like this, uh, these men are servants of the most high God, something like that. And so finally, I'm not sure why, I put, why it took Paul so long But finally, it basically says he got frustrated. So he turns around to this girl and basically says, leave her. Leave her. And instantly, the demon is gone. But with the loss of the demon goes the loss of profitability. So her owners 
Human traffickers is what they were. Her owners could no longer make money with her. And again, in culture, when you lose your profitability, you get mad. And they got mad. So they go to the town officials, and that's where we start in Acts chapter 16, verse 21, and we meet our first group of cranky customers, all right? And it says this, they, speaking to the magistrates, they, Paul and Silas, are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now, that's really not true, and well, it is kind of, it's a kind of truth, because basically, Paul and Silas, we're talking about the fact that, hey, you know, there's one true God, and it's not Caesar. It is God. It is creator God. So in that sense, they were teaching things that it was illegal for Romans to do, because the Romans believed Caesar was God. And so in that sense, it's true. But the problem is, and that wasn't what, that wasn't, that wasn't what egged them on. They were mad because they lost their profitability. They were mad because they were no longer going to make money from this slave girl because these preachers cast out the demon. Now, we've got our cranky customers in our culture. We've got this group, this group. Um, I wrote down the word potsters because surely these people in Acts chapter 16 were stirring the pot. And we have cranky customers in our culture that also stir the pot. Um, I saw them, I call them sin profiteers, sin sellers. And trust me, the list could be very long. But I picked three that we'd all go, oh yeah, that's right. You know, the, the pornography, and can we say, can I use the word sex? The sex industry, the pornography industry in America and the West is just huge. It's just huge. It's a, it's a billion, billion, billion dollar business. And trust me, look at me. They don't like you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, and they don't like this church. They don't like churches. They're against us. And they're trying, they're trying to stir the pot against the church of God in America. Then, then we've got, I said Hollywood, but it's so much bigger than Hollywood. It's the entertainment industry. Okay? And trust me, they are stirring the pot. There is no secret. If you are a Christ follower, you know what I'm about to say. The in, entertainment industry, Hollywood is its core hates the church, and they hate believers individually. They love to stir the pot, accusing the church and putting down the church. Oh, you're, you're fools, and you're crazy, and you're ignorant if you believe that God stuff, which I think is kind of funny. Most of them don't even have college educations, and they're telling the world what they ought to do. It's just kind of weird. And frankly, it bleeds over to the sports sometimes. You get a famous sports star who speaks out against God and against the church, and people believe it. It's because they're a sports star. And, and the third thing is, of course, drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. It goes on and on and on. But these are pot stirrers, and they're saying, you know, why are you believing in this God? And they're making life difficult for the church. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Billy Graham said this. He says, while there is truth and error... There will always, there is always compromise. And may I say, there is always the temptation to compromise. Within some churches, and listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Within some churches, there is a movement to reshape, to refocus, to respeak, to redefine the Christian message, i.e. the gospel, the gospel, 
to make it more acceptable and more palatable to man. In other words, soft-selling the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. America culturally is in trouble. And the last thing it needs is a watered-down gospel. It needs the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to sell them and give them because it's truth that sets men free. You know, we love sweet tea. And matter of fact, we make good sweet tea here at Dorisville Baptist Church. But here's the deal. You know, if you add enough water, okay, add enough water and sugar to tea, and the result is something less than what it was. You can take it and add plenty of sweetener to it. But if you keep adding water and water, you end up with brown water and it's no longer sweet tea. Brothers and sisters, we cannot dilute the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, and listen, we can't make it sweet just for the sake of sweet sake. There's a sweet portion to the gospel, but there is a bitter portion to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it was Andy Stanley who said this. He said, listen, the gospel is going to be offensive. The gospel, I mean, when you tell someone that they're lost and going to hell and they've sinned, uh, they have offended a holy God, that's offensive. So the gospel is going to be offensive. But here's what's important. It's important that if a person is offended, they be offended by the gospel and not us. And not us. And that is the danger, folks. Listen, listen. Culture is being turned off by the culture in the church, okay? Because of what, the way we live and the way we act, our behaviors and, and our attitudes, okay? They're being turned off that. Let them be offended, but make sure it's the offensive thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at our cranky customers number two. Now, I realized something in between this service and next service is that these do build on each other. So you've got... Cranky customers, number one. You've got these people. They always say the power, most powerful man in the room is the man with the microphone. Okay? So you've got this culture. You've got Hollywood. You've got the porn industry. You've got drugs and alcohol. You've got all these things, okay? And what do they do? They influence the culture. The culture. And then watch this. The culture influences the government. Let's look at it and see. The Bible says in verse number 22... A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. So, so the pot stirs, per, stirs up the culture, okay? And the mob, the culture, quickly turns against Paul and Silas. And then the city officials orders them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. And they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. Do you see the progression there? It starts with people with loud voices, porn, the sin peddlers in America... They stir up the people because people are gullible and they believe whatever. Can you believe not everything you read on the Internet's true? Did you know that everything on Facebook is not true? Did you know that? Well, people today have a tendency to believe whatever they read. You know, as you and I were talking, we're, we're from a generation that you actually watch the evening news and most likely it was true. Walter Cronkite. You know, Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is. You know, you could believe it. You can't believe the news today. You can't believe the internet today. You can't believe Facebook today. But people do. And they get all fired up, and guess where they target their wrath? Today in America. Often it is the church. Often it's the believers in Jesus Christ. We're all like, we're enamored with, yay, the idea that government is for the people and by the people. 
By and large, that's worked pretty good for America. But what you're not understanding and what we miss is that crazy culture is now electing a government that's crazy. See? See? Do you see? Okay? So, so it starts over here with a few posturers that have microphones and they speak and then the people believe and those people who believe that junk elect officials who do that junk. Shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. Okay? So, so in the case of Paul and Silas, they end up in jail. They end up in jail. Now, now here's what you need to understand. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 16, listen to this. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Look at me. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal... Can somebody say 2021? Can someone say all the confusion and division... Of the last two, 18 months. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Don't be surprised, Peter says. In fact, he goes on and says, as if something unusual were happening to you. This is not something unusual. This is business as usual. Because again, Jesus said, the world hates me and they will hate you. It's usual, usual business as usual. Don't be discouraged because he's greater than the world. Greater. You know, you know, John wrote and said, you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. So be prepared. Understand. Understand. You know, you know here's a quote from, from Leonard Ravenhill. It says this. You know, the early church, the early church, go ahead, Nancy. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. That was, their, that, was their, that was their job description. That was the way they lived. Look, read the book of Acts. Okay, first martyr was Stephen. Their church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, today in Western culture, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Boy, is that good. That's, listen, 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 listen. That's our battle. That's our battle. We've got to have an Acts 2, 5, 16 mentality. And not a mentality that says, wait, 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 wait. You mean I get saved, I'm not, you know, it's not all about prosperity? It's all, not all about personality? It's not about popularity? No, it's not. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. We are not consumers. We are servants. This is not a country club. It is a church. It is not a, a, it's a hospital for sinners and not a place for us to come and feel good. It's so important. If we're going to be profitable, if we're going to be profitable, then we have got to be about the Father's business. We've got to put ourselves at the end of the line and put others in Jesus first. We just... Have to do that. All right. Well, finally, you get to cranky customer number three. This one is important. Um, you know, we had a group, uh, probably not a large group. We had a group that stirred the pot, and they were the sin peddlers, and you know, they were mad because they lost their profitability. And then we had this mob, and it was bigger. And then we had the city officials, the government, and you had those three, but they're groups. This is personal. This is personal. 
Because the Bible says the jailer, the guy who ran the local, local jail, uh, an employee of the Roman government, but definitely local officials. Um, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Okay? Um, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. This is personal. That's one thing when culture's not happy with you, you get over that. You expect that. We know the, the Hollywood, you know, you get that mess, sure, all that. But this is personal. This is a guy who chose to make Paul and Silas's life more miserable. You have a jailer in your life? Who's, who's holding you? What jailer do you have that's been ordered to make sure you don't escape? What person has broken your heart? What person has lied to you? What person has hurt you? What, what husband has walked in and said, marriage over, I'm done, somebody else is on the street? We all have jailers in our life. The question is, what do you do with the jailer in your life? I mean, it's one thing that's a mob. It's nothing that's personal. You know, you may have somebody at work you have somebody in church who, who is nailing you, who's focused on you, and they're making sure you don't escape into joy. You stay miserable in prison. What are you going to do with this jailer? What do you do with a jailer that put them in the inner dungeon and then clamped their feet in the stocks? What, what do you do with a person that does that? What's our response? Well, listen to what C.S. Lewis said. This is, this is one of the ones you've got to write down. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. In other words, what what the jailer may have done to you, what the jailer may have done to you probably was inexcusable. But C.S. Lewis comes along and says, but isn't it amazing that God forgave the inexcusable in you? Now, now, why this is so important is because we can't be profitable unless we, we get this one down. Oh, and by the way, you know, if, you're, if you know a little bit about the Bible, it's nice that C.S. Lewis said that. Jesus said it multiple times. Paul taught it multiple times. John taught it multiple times. James taught it multiple times. Peter taught it multiple times. It just can't be ignored. What do you do with the jailer in your life? Actually, let's just be honest. What do you do with the pot stirrers? If you walk around with all this anger and forgiveness and bitterness at the pot stirrers, you're tired of Hollywood, you're tired of this, and you're tired of that, and it just owns you and possesses you, it's going to mess your head up. And same thing with culture. You said, you, you can't hate culture because they're the very ones like you that Jesus died for. We can't hate culture. We've got to love culture. And by the way, <laughs> I already mentioned government too much because you don't know I mention it too often. But I think Jesus said something about it, and Paul said something about praying for the government. Just saying, <laughs> you know, just saying. No, see, the response to the jailer is love and forgiveness. That's the response. Well, verse 25 is like off the scale good. So, so it was around midnight. So around midnight like 12 o'clock at night, you know, Paul and Silas were having a worship service. Look what it says. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
Now, let's just, for fun, let's do this. So around midnight, Paul and Silas were, and we get to fill in the blank. Like, in my weird sense of humor, I said, around midnight, Paul and Silas were dead. They bled to death. They died in the prison. Okay, this hadn't discovered yet to remove the bodies. Now, that wasn't true. Okay, so around midnight, Paul and Silas were whining and complaining. Ding, 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 that's me. I'm the king of the whiners. You'd have heard my whining all the way back to Harrisburg if I was over there. And by the way, isn't that what we do? When, when things don't go well, we tend to whine and complain. Don't you leave me on this branch by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we whine and complain. But, but look what Paul says. Now, now again, keep in mind, they're in the inner prison... You could make up stuff like there are rats on the floor and all that. But, but the bottom line is it was not a good place to be. They're in this inner prison and they would be totally, you know, nobody would blame them if they whined and complained. But instead, they're praying and singing hymns. And most likely the hymns were the book of Psalms. That was kind of like the Jewish hymn book. So they were probably singing the word of God to God. And then they're praying. Now, I, I, I just tell you what I think. I don't think the prayers went like this. God in heaven, get us out of here. Change these circumstances. Don't you care? I don't think that was the prayers. And you say, well, why? Because the praying would have to match the singing. And the singing would match the praying. And they're singing and having worship. And that's not the kind of... Listen carefully. That's not the kind of prayers you pray when you're worshiping. When you're, when you're worshiping, the kind of prayers you pray is you acknowledge the majesty of God. You acknowledge the sovereignty of God. You acknowledge the power of God. You acknowledge your faith in God. You acknowledge your trust in God. That's the kind of prayers I believe they were praying. I think it's the kind of prayers we should be praying. Now here's the crazy part. And the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening. This is so powerful. So here they are in prison and they hear a worship service going on. And again, they probably said something like, man, those guys are crazy. I don't understand what they're doing. But at the same time, they're drawn to it. And that's, and that's what culture would do with the gospel. They may not even like it. They may not understand it, but they'll be drawn to it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so they're hearing. Now, what you've got to know, what you've got to know is the prisoners outside these walls, these prisoners that are in bondage to sin and death, those prisoners, the ones you work with, the ones you go to school with, uh, the ones you live next door to, those prisoners, they're watching and listening too. They're watching and listening too. What are they going to hear? Katie, what are they going to see? Whining? Complaining? Griping? Or are they going to hear worship? Are they going to hear prayers of worship? That's just, it's, just, it's just so so hugely important. See, I don't have a name for this, but it talks about the church and it talks about being the church. You know, here's what it says. Look, 
We will never change the world by going to church. I know, I know, I know. Our logic tells us that, that the more we have church, um, the, the, more, the more times we meet together, all that, that will tell the world. That will win the world. No, no, no. no. Let me tell you how you win the world. We will change the world. We will win the world only by being the church. I mean, I mean, when we're, when we're down at McDonald's having coffee, if it's open this week, you know, if you're having coffee and all they, the neighbor next to the door hears at the table is not how you don't like your church or you don't like the preacher or you don't like your neighbor and you don't like this brother and you don't like this. If all they're hearing is, man, did God do something great Sunday? I, I just got to believe probably it might change something. I'm telling you guys, this is huge. And it's huge because of the days we live in. I'm telling you, I, I said it last week, Judy, you weren't here. You know, I said it last week. Um, there's a tipping point coming. And the world finally realizes that all the gender change, all this mess that they're doing now ain't working. They're going to look for something that does. And that's going to be Jesus Christ. And we've got to be ready to receive them. We've got to be ready to receive them and share with them the truth and the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, suddenly, the Bible says, uh, right happens in verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And this was not like the 4.3 thing. This was massive. And the prison was shaken to its foundation. And watch, all the doors. Now, somebody say all. Because I want you to get that. You know, when God does something, he does it well. All the doors flew open, okay? And, and every chain of every prison. Somebody say every. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every prison. So all the doors go open, okay? And every chain on every prisoner falls off. Holy moly. Now, now here again, it's kind of like, I know I would be a whiner there, okay? I can tell you what I'll be going. Let's go. Let's get out of here. God, it's very, <laughs> it's very obvious what God is doing. He has set us free. Run. There's no doubt. Here's what we have learned. You know, sometimes the obvious isn't the best choice. Sometimes the obvious is not the right choice. We need to learn, and I apologize for luck at like a word there. We, we need to learn to wait and see what God has in mind. See, we think we, think we know like in this COVID era and coming out of the COVID era and, and the way things are all mixed up, we think we know what God has in mind. No, you don't. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. Now, I think in the book of Job, we, we don't know the mind. We don't know what God has in mind. See, see, y'all are thinking this messed up culture and this messed up government and masks and all that stuff. Well, it's just circumstances. No, no, no. God's sovereign. He's got a plan. And we may not see, we may not know what the end of the plan is now. Oh, but we will. We will. And we have to be ready when we know. Could be the rapture. Could be final days. Nothing on the calendar of God says the rapture couldn't happen today. Might be. Might be. Well, we move on. Okay. And so the Bible says that the man came in. The dude came in. He woke up and to see the prison doors wide open. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And he assumed... Because everybody knows when you're, changed, when you're in prison and the doors open and chains come off, what do you do? Yeah, right. So he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. He figured his way of death 
was going to be better than the torture that would be inflicted upon him for allowing the customer or the uh, prisoners to escape. So he draws his sword. Now this, this verse 28, this is what you do with your jailer in your life. Everybody's holding you bondage. Don't, Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. I know. I know. We would holler, go. Kill yourself. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. So isn't it amazing that Paul and his, his wounds, Paul and his bleeding back knows that Salvation of a man's soul is better than revenge. The purposes of God are bigger and worth more than revenge. Amen. 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 Stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Verse 29, Nancy. Let's go on down there. So the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul's eyes. Don't you know he knows how close he came? One heartbeat? Wow. So he brought them out, and here he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And someone pointed this out to me after first service. You know, he said, what's amazing, I didn't even catch this. The term sirs is a term of respect. So the guy in charge who threw them in prison now says to them, I respect you. Boy, that'll preach. Where'd that come from? Hey, sir, I respect you. What must I do to be saved? Sir, the one I respect now, um, what what must I do to be like you? Um, Sirs, what must I do to have what you got? See, see what, what, what Paul and Silas had was so different. I mean, it wasn't just different that they didn't drink, smoke, and, and whatever. You know, it was different the way they loved people because, you know, Paul could have said, die, but he didn't. And this man's overwhelmed and goes, listen, I don't know what you got. I don't even know if I like what you got, but I want what you got. And that's what we want with culture. We have got, listen, listen, listen. We have got to be like Jesus. We have got, we don't, 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 don't have the stench of religion. Have the sweet aroma of Jesus. We just need to allow the aroma of Jesus to roll off of us. Oh, and then the crowd comes and says, listen, I don't know what it is, but I want what you got. How do I, how do I get what you got? And, and, then, and then Paul says, they replied, Paul and Silas both pray, uh, replied and said, listen, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because they, they pointed in the right direction. It wasn't just believe. It was believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You know, there's a way where, there's a way where you know, I can shoot an arrow. That's one way. Or I can shoot and aim at a target and hit a target. I can, I can shoot a gun randomly or I can shoot at a target. Well, that's what they did. They pointed the man directly where he needed to go. And we've got to be sure to do the same. 
We've got to point people to Jesus, not to a preacher, not to a church, not to a denomination. We point them to Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Oh, and by the way, along with everyone in your household, and we're going to prove that's not universal salvation. It just happens, okay? So then, Paul and Silas, you know, shares the word of the Lord with him and with all who live in his household. I just see the, the jailer going, hang on, let me get Mary and the two boys up and brings them into the jail. I want my family to hear this. Here's the deal. Two men's faithful obedience changed the destiny of a whole family. Wow. And by the way, may I say more than that? Not only the destiny of a family, but grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You have to believe, you have to believe that this fellow became a faithful member of the church of Philippi. And how, how, did, how many people did he influence through that ministry? See, see, imagine what would happen if God's people act like God's people and people get saved and then more people get saved and more people get saved and more people get saved. That multiplication factor. See, see y'all were thinking America's past hope. I don't know. I think we need to spell hope J-E-S-U-S. I think when you spell hope, Jesus, and America is not beyond hope, Africa is not beyond hope, China is not beyond hope, Jesus is the hope of the world. And we need to share Him. We need prepared to share Him. Imagine what could happen. All right, let's put a bow on this thing. Verse 33. So, even at that hour of the night, uh, let's see, they were having church at midnight. That's weird. Okay, and then that earthquake and all that and all that has to go on. So probably 3.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Now watch this. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. So they, they were saved. Uh, and sign of salvation was baptism. So there are two things here that we need to make sure are in our lives, okay, and then also that we can teach the new Christians, okay? First off, notice service. Service. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Love God. Love people. Customer care. Love God. Love people. When we lead people to Jesus, we don't teach them to sit we teach them to serve. Amen. And I need to make sure you understand as your pastor that we need to make sure we understand that. God did not leave you here to sit and be cared for. He left you here to serve others. And, and obedience. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Obedience is important. Obedience, we don't serve to make God happy. We obey because make make God happy. We obey because we love Him. And by the way, freebie, you have fewer regrets and lower consequences when you obey Him. So we need to believe this, that God's called us to serve, and we need to be obedient. But that's what we need to teach new believers. It's pretty simple. Sidership's not hard. I, I don't think we I don't I don't do a very good job of it. I'm not sure how our church does. 
But we need to, yeah, teach them to serve. Teach them to obey. And then watch what God does. Watch what God does. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, I think we need a reset. I'm not so sure that's what this wasn't about. You know, we, we have long been, I told you we, we had this slogan and we live that slogan. But I really think COVID messed with our brain and our hearts. It's time for a reset. It's time to go back to what we know works. And what we know works is serving others, obeying God. Let's make it simpler. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. It's that simple. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for letting me preach this today. I mean, it really was, it's just, it's just neat. It's just powerful. I love the simple stories and how God can take and bring great truths from it. So if you're here today, and maybe you're that jailer, and maybe today you're asking yourself, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be forgiven? What must I do? Well, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we'll tell you exactly what the Bible says. We won't embellish it. We won't soft sell it. We'll tell you exactly what God says about how you can have forgiveness of your sins and come to relationship um, with Him, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. And that will happen, by the way, when the team sings and Brent will be standing down front. Just come out and say, Hey, Brent, I want to know about this. I want to know about this. And secondly is those of us who know Christ. Are we prepared and willing and ready to love a culture that can be cranky? To pray for a government that can be messed up? And pray for our industry that hates us? Pray for their salvation. Are we prepared and ready? Are we prepared and ready for the crowds that come through that door who will not be like us, they won't talk like us, dress like us, look like us? Are we prepared and ready to love them in Jesus' name, customer care. God, thank you for this privilege of sharing this truth. And God, burn it in the heart of this pastor. And then burn it in the hearts of these people. Prepare us, Father, for coming days, exciting days of harvest, days of Elijah. Prepare us for that. Because I believe, Father, your word teaches they're coming. Father, don't let it happen just here. Let's take it out these doors to the McDonald places or the schools or the mines or wherever it may be, or the high school, wherever it might be. Let's take that gospel out these doors to those who so desperately need it. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.